0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Our first lesson for this third Sunday after the Epiphany is found recorded in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, beginning at the first verse. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a cloak of praise instead of a faint spirit, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord to display his beauty. Then they will rebuild ancient ruins. They will raise up what was formerly devastated, And they will renew ruined cities which have been devastated for generations. Strangers will stand and shepherd your flock. And foreigners will be your farmers and vine dressers. You will be called the Lord's priests. You will be named ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations. And you will boast about their riches. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, beginning at the 12th verse. St. Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so also in Christ. For by one spirit we all were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free people, and we were all caused to drink one spirit. Furthermore, the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it does not on that account cease to be part of the body. If the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it does not on that account cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has arranged the members in the body, each and every one of them, as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, and again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, All the members rejoice with it. You are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, beginning at the 14th verse. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding area. He was teaching in their synagogues and being honored by everyone. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to tell them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, And from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. Three days later, there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, What does that have to do with you and me? My time has not yet come. The mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Six stone water jars, which the Jews used for ceremonial cleansing, were standing there, each holding 20 uh, or 30 gallons. Jesus told them, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did. When the master of the banquet tasted the water that had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the banquet called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first when the guests have had plenty to drink then the cheaper wine." You saved the good, wine, until now. This, the beginning of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Canaan of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and brothers and sisters who rejoice in the fact that Jesus is our epiphany, Lord. Ha ha, I gotcha. And this text, some say is one of those aha, I gotcha ones. Jesus turning water into wine means that wine has alcohol. He's promoting alcoholism. Therefore, Jesus can't be our savior. The Bible is all wrong. And you're brainwashed for listening to this. Aha, I gotcha. Now time out. Wait one moment. What drinking alcohol is not what is sinful. Now, drinking it to excess and pickling your brain is certainly against God's holy will. But alcohol in and of itself is 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 not sinful. We see it as as, as a gift of God not to be abused. And concerning the master of the banquet saying that when people have had plenty to drink, doesn't automatically mean that he's promoting alcoholism or drunkenness. To say Jesus turning water into wine is proof that he is not our Savior. just does not hold water. Aha, I got you. See how Jesus treated his mother? He didn't call her mother, which would have been a term of respect. He referred to her as just woman. When she had asked that they have no wine and then to say these words, woman, what does that have to do with you and me? See, that's proof right there that she's not the Savior. The Bible's wrong, and you're foolish to listen to any of that. This is not a ha-ha, I got you. One, yes, Jesus did call his mother woman. And yes, we may think it's disrespectful, but that's not how Mary took it. We hear of nothing in here of Mary firing back at him and, or scolding him and being extremely upset by what he said. Yes, he spoke to her very direct. What is interesting is how she really did respond. She went to the servants and told them, Do as he says. There is no aha, I got you, any place here. When we talk about that first miracle that Jesus performed when he went from his private life to now his public ministry. See, everything began with his public ministry when Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. The Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, remember? The voice from the cloud that said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, the chosen one, and made it very, very clear that he is the anointed Messiah. He is the Christ. Following that episode and and that formal announcement, Jesus would spend the next six weeks, 40 days exactly, in the the desert fasting and praying, and it was during that time that Satan was tempting him. After that episode, Jesus began to start gathering up disciples and began with Andrew and John because they heard from John the Baptist, and they were his disciples. They heard, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and exactly what John said when Jesus was walking by. And Andrew and John both started to follow Jesus. Andrew went and got his brother Peter and Peter joined the group of disciples. And the next day, Jesus meets with Philip and Nathaniel. And they also join as disciples. So those first five disciples were more than likely the disciples that are spoken of in our text. Three days after choosing Philip and Nathaniel, that is when Jesus had the invitation and went to this wedding at Canaan. I find it fascinating that Jesus would take time out to even go to a wedding celebration because you would have thought, hey, he's only here for three years, there's probably plenty of work he needs to be doing, he needs to be gathering up large groups of people, he needs to be out there preaching and teaching and he takes time out for a wedding? Really, it shouldn't surprise us at all because marriage is not a human institution in the sense that it was made by man but it's a human institution that has been instituted by God himself and so Jesus honored the guests with his presence he attends this wedding and it was at this time that we find out that they ran out of wine now the wedding celebration could actually go for Even up to a week. So running out of wine is probably not totally surprising, but it definitely would be embarrassing. And Mary was very concerned about that. She approaches Jesus to to let him know that they have no wine. But Jesus replied, is very unique and wonderful in the sense that he had to remind her again of the very thing that he reminded her when he was 12 years old and was at the temple. Remember, he told both Mary and Joseph that he was here to do his father's business? He wasn't here to carry out the wishes and desires of his mother Mary. He was not the carpenter's son and was raised to build furniture. No, he was here to do the Father's business, the Heavenly Father's business, and clearly reminded her of that again. She tells the servants to do as he says, and he tells the servants to fill the six water jars, each holding between 20 to 30 gallons, and to fill them with water. These were the... The, the containers that would have been used for ceremonial cleansing which may suggest that this wedding party may have been rather large, the party itself. The ceremonial uh, water that was used for purification, were according to the laws that actually didn't come from God. These were man-made laws that eventually became traditions, and out of all the laws, the ones that are the most prevalent are the purification ones. A thousand and one different mandates concerning what's called ceremonial cleansing. These containers were now empty, and Jesus invited them to fill them up and they filled them to the brim and then Jesus had them take out that water that had now turned to wine and give it to the master of ceremonies. Notice that Jesus didn't say abracadabra. He didn't say hocus pocus. Uh, or anything like that. He didn't wave his hands over it. It didn't start boiling and cooking, and steam came out from it. In fact, he didn't even pour any type of chemicals in it that would convert it into wine. They put water in, and they took wine out. And the servants knew, because they were the ones who were told to put the water in and to take out the wine. And the wine that Jesus gave and made to the master of ceremonies was the best. Jesus makes no junk. And the master of ceremonies had to comment on this. The tradition and practice is you do the good wine first, and and then when people have drank freely, is literally what the Greek says, then you bring out the cheaper wine. But here, the best wine now? But that's exactly what happened at that first public miracle. And it was a miracle, a supernatural act. Not even science can figure this one out. No human being can turn water into wine and have it taste the best. There was no trick here. This was a miracle. and, and And the word for miracle is literally the word for sign. This was a sign. This was like a huge billboard where Jesus was revealing to the servants and to the disciples who were watching and even to his own mother what, what, this was a billboard speaking of who Jesus was. And what can we say for sure about Jesus? Well, the billboard just cries out that this is an all-powerful Savior. This is the Son of God. This, this, he is the all-powerful one who can turn water into wine. And notice how he uses that almighty power. He doesn't use it to show off. He doesn't use it to break and boast. He uses it to help and serve. I find these words extremely comforting, especially when I go to the Lord in prayer knowing that the power of prayer is not how I pray or how often I pray or how many people join me in prayer, but rather the power of prayer is in the fact that God hears our prayers and has the almighty power to answer those prayers. This is why we always pray, not my will, but your will be done. And notice what we can even pray for. I look at my own life, and I think of all the times I perhaps have missed out on opportunities to go to the Lord in prayer because I I make the excuse to myself, well, that's a little thing. I won't bother God with that one. Mary went to Jesus because they ran out of wine. That doesn't sound like a a major uh, issue or, or something to have to go to the Lord with, but Mary did. Don't chicken out on going to the Lord and don't and and realize that Satan doesn't want you to go to the Lord in prayer. Whether it's a big thing in your mind or a little thing, take it all to the Lord in prayer and know that he hears and answers our prayer. He's the Almighty, but he's also the Merciful. Mercy is that beautiful, beautiful word that is easily translated and ought to be translated, I deserve love. To have a Lord that what he did, he did purely out of love? What did this bridal couple did? Just because they invited him, does that mean now Jesus owed them? They did nothing to deserve Jesus' love and favor, and yet it was out of love that Jesus did answer the prayer and turn that water into wine. It's this same mercy that we cling to, knowing that it is this feeling of God, this mercy of God, this love of God, is why he left the glories of heaven to come here on earth to be our Savior, to live the life we could not live because we're sinful human beings who have fallen short of his glory. To suffer the punishment for sin, which is death, which you and I could not suffer because we would not live. But he would do it in our behalf, and then on top of it, conquered death. It was all by grace that God did this. He didn't do it because he owed it to us. He didn't do it because we did something to deserve his grace and favor. He did it purely out of undeserved love. This is why we pray to a Lord, not my will, but your will be done, knowing that his will is always going to be one of love and out of love for the saving of souls. But above all, this miraculous sign just cries out that he is worthy of our faith. He is the son of God, and he is the son of man in one person. See, every time a new hymn book comes up or comes out, and in my lifetime, if we decide to go to this new hymn book, this will be the third one that I've experienced in my life. But every time a new one comes out, they always like to tweak on the church year. And I pray. That any hymn book coming out, and even those that will be in the future, will never erase from the church year calendar the season of epiphany. It's an important season that we cannot overlook. It's an important season that each and every one of us truly need. Because it is the season where it's emphasized that our true Savior is the Son of God and the Son of Man. If you take one of those away, then Jesus cannot be our Savior. If you take one of those away, then you treat Jesus as simply, well, he was born of a teen mom. And therefore, he, uh, he, he, he can sympathize with us because of all the, the, the problems and the troubles and, and the pains that he faced in life. He's an example of how you can succeed in life. And if you deny that he is the son of God, then you deny the fact that Jesus is just a a good man who did good things, and you can earn God's favor like Jesus did. That's no Savior at all. Our Savior is not just some example, even though we truly can learn from him. No, our Savior is the Son of God and Son of Man. He took on human flesh to pay for our sins in full. And He is the Son of God, which means the victory of forgiveness of sins and the hope of everlasting life now comes for everyone. And for that we cannot thank our God enough as we live each moment of every day, giving all praise and glory to our Lord, especially when we study His miracles that cry out, He is the Almighty. He is the merciful. And He is worthy of our trust, which is even a gift of God. As the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith through that good news of Jesus Christ, our Savior. The miracles are truly a blessing. And to consider them is truly an honor. Especially this first one where Jesus turned water into wine. Aha, I got you. Jesus is the Savior. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.